You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. And just like that, she's alone. Mary receives the most startling of announcements from the angel Gabriel that she is favored by God, that she will give birth to a son whose realm will have no end. And she answers this overwhelming news with a calmness far beyond her years, saying to the angel, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. At which point, without a reply or a word of thanks or of a, you got this girlfriend, Gabriel vanishes. So now what? She's a young girl, barely into her teens, left alone, facing this life-upending news all by herself. And as Luke tells the story, no sooner than the angel Gabriel exits stage left, Mary rushes out with haste to visit Elizabeth. I wonder. I wonder, did she want to compare notes on the strangeness of all of this? Did she need some time to process everything, to figure out what her next steps would be? Was she frightened or ecstatic or a little bit of both? Whatever she was feeling, Mary couldn't wait. And she travels alone to a city in the hill country, heading straight for Elizabeth. Now, at this point in Luke's story, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and she spent the last five months in self-imposed seclusion. You remember her husband, Zechariah, is still not able to speak after his own encounter with an angel in the temple, so theirs, we might imagine, has been a very quiet home. That is, until Mary barges in. Suddenly, there she is in the middle of the living room, no time for formalities, no knocking at the door or standing on the front porch waiting to be invited in. Mary just rushes straight in and greets Elizabeth. And the sound of Mary's hello falls upon her ears, and Elizabeth feels that growing child in her belly move. At six months, That baby is nearly 12 inches long and weighs about two pounds, and something in the unexpected movement in her womb stirs her. Somehow, Elizabeth knows that the Spirit is at work both in her and in her young visitor, too. Luke writes, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I love Elizabeth. Not missing a beat, she just extends a welcome to the young girl, a warm welcome of blessing and love. And with it, she offers an embrace of that little girl, one of comfort and acceptance. 
It's such an amazing gift, so simple and yet so life-changing. For Mary is alone no more. She finds in Elizabeth's welcome a safe haven, a sanctuary of hope. It's only after Elizabeth extends blessing to Mary in our story in Luke's gospel that Mary can sing. And I know we tend to think of our spiritual lives in the singular as an individual quest for meaning or purpose. It's our story that we make for ourselves. But in this beginning in Luke's gospel, we find a faith that is inherently communal in nature. For here we see that Mary finds her voice in the presence of an encourager with someone who sees her and recognizes the good which the Spirit is at work in her, and someone who intentionally blesses her. Oh, how we need more Elizabeths, don't we? Those folks who see beyond the surface of things to the deep longings of our hearts. Our world aches, I think, for more of those wise folks who give words of blessing and not judgment, those who encourage rather than tear down. Elizabeth is what we might call an Anamkara, a soul friend in the Celtic tradition. Anam is the word for soul in Gaelic, and kara means friend. So a soul friend is a spiritual companion, a fellow sojourner. And the tradition, the Celtic tradition, has in its roots someone that you could confess to. But it's evolved over time to describe a trusted companion, an encourager, a friend who listens, someone who can truly be present with us. There's a wonderful intimacy in spiritual friendships in which you are able to just share your deepest longings, your questions, doubts, your dreams. So perhaps that's why Mary ran to Elizabeth, because she understood her to be a wise and discerning friend. And it's in the safety of their friendship that Mary sings. She's given the first canticle in Luke's Gospel of Four, and a couple of weeks ago, we considered the second song in that series, that of Zacharias. But here, Mary sings what is known as the Magnificat. Named for the first word in the Latin translation of the Greek text, my soul magnifies. And it's traditionally been a part of evening prayers in the Christian tradition since at least the 6th century. In his translation of the Magnificat, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He writes, God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. Now, most of us, if we were told that God took a look at us, our first response would be to cringe in dismay for how quickly we rush to judgment on ourselves, don't we? We have that ready-made list of all of our shortcomings, our failures. We're expecting judgment on us. But here in Elizabeth's room, enveloped in her spacious welcome, Mary's free to understand that God's gaze on her 
is a loving one. There in that sanctuary space created by Elizabeth, Mary understands deep in her bones that rather than with condemnation, God looks with favor upon her. And God looks with favor upon us. God blesses us for good, that God is always seeking after our flourishing. Imagine. Imagine, if you would, that we understood God's attention upon us as one of love and blessing and not of condemnation. Just as the angel Gabriel had approached Mary saying, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. So there in Elizabeth's living room, Mary sings. She belts out this melody of joy and anticipation and hope. It is a prophetic song of deliverance and upheaval. And with Elizabeth's blessing and her encouragement, Mary no longer is alone, so she finds her voice. And she sings at first of a poor woman's song, a dream for justice, she starts by praising God, acknowledging her own low estate, not one of spiritual humility, much more so one of social context, of her own poverty. And then Mary goes on to sing of what will become major themes in Luke's gospel and Jesus's ministry. She sings of a blessing on the poor and a condemnation of the rich, of the powerful being brought down low and the lowly raised up in triumph, of the hungry being fed and the rich being sent away empty-handed. It is a song which provides the vision of the preaching of her son much later. When in chapter 6, Jesus would offer blessings on the poor and delivers woes Words of woe to the well-to-do. Mary sings a song of God's great upheaval, of setting the world aright. I have a t-shirt that was given to me with a woodcut print block of a picture of, the, of Mary created by the artist Ben Wildflower, who's in Pennsylvania. And it is not one of those serene, sweet images of Mary that we so often see in this one, she's got her fist raised to the sky and her foot is stomping on a snake and it's surrounded by her words in the Magnificat, cast down the mighty and send the rich away. You see, the Mary of the Magnificat is empowered. She is strong and defiant. We lost a powerful Kentucky voice this past week with the news that Bell Hooks passed away on Wednesday. In her writings on love and friendship, on feminism and empowerment, Bell was a courageous voice for justice and an encouragement for many. She wrote, one of the most vital ways we sustain ourselves is by building communities of resistance, places where we know we are not alone. And in this unnamed town in a Judean hill country, Elizabeth and Mary are forming a tiny community of resistance. They're offering solidarity for one another, enabling faith and confidence to move into an uncertain future. And if his song, which Zechariah will soon sing after the birth of his son John, is any indication, Zechariah is in the room too, listening. 
listening to Mary's prophetic tune, and soon he will join in that chorus when he too recovers his voice. It's a small, but it's a determined community of resistance there. The work of the Magnificat is a subversive one. When the man Jesus preaches his first sermon in his hometown pulpit in Nazareth, he will reach back to the prophet Isaiah and to the song of his mother. When he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those words are words that stir up trouble, good trouble, and a crowd which runs him out of town seeking to throw him off a cliff. I think Jesus learned well of God's dream for the world at the feet of his mother. And he followed that dream of shalom, preaching of God's radical great reversal, even when he was confronted by anger, violence, and death. Here in this first chapter of Luke, we're given a glimpse of the community of care which birthed Jesus, of the people who loved his mother, of her heart, which despite facing overwhelming challenges, found the courage to say yes. Bell Hooks offers us wisdom again when she writes, quote, the practice of love is the most powerful antidote to the politics of domination. That practice of love, is embodied in the blessing of Elizabeth, which sets the stage for Mary's song and ultimately for the ministry of Jesus. Can we take from this story a word for our day? I think we can. Perhaps what our world needs now more than ever are people who are intentionally embracing an identity as a community of Elizabeths. People who are on the lookout for the working of the spirit in the world, who see past outside appearances, who can discern the heart of the matter, people who bless others so that they can embrace their authentic selves, practicing love in the face of the powers of domination. Luke tells us that Mary lingers with Elizabeth, staying three months, and says, in that little home... Elizabeth offers a safe haven for Mary, a home of welcome. Now, we can only imagine how they spent time together, how often Zachariah smiled at the sight of the two of them together. It's a precious gift of love that they shared. Several years ago at my previous congregation in Washington State, we were longtime hosts of a sheltering program for adults who were experiencing homelessness. The first few years, we were housing a few dozen people <clears throat> in our building. By the time I left, it was over 70 individuals who were sleeping in the sanctuary and throughout the church building on Friday nights. At first, there were a few neighbors who were vocally against the program. They complained about homeless people who were walking through their neighborhoods. Most of the guests rode in a van who brought them to the churches. A few would walk or ride a bike to our building. And you know how it is where some people are just really uncomfortable when they see someone they think might be homeless. 
So in response to the neighbor's complaints, I started bringing my dog, Max, with me in the evenings and then again in the morning as folks were leaving. And what Max and I would do would be walk around the neighborhood, kind of keeping an eye out for folks who were coming to the building, joining with any of our guests who were on their way to or from the church. And one December morning, Max and I were on our we're walking with one of our regular guests to a bus stop that was just a few blocks away from our church. I knew this guest didn't like to ride in the van, and she usually kept to herself overnight. And this was one of my first opportunities to actually have a conversation with her. She'd grown up in the community. I knew that she had been a cheerleader there at the high school when she was younger. On her walk, she told me she was on her way to her storage unit to sort through things and to get out of the cold. At the time, there was no day shelter available in our community, and so a few hours in her storage unit could help keep her safe, warm, and dry. So as we walked, she asked me about my dog, Max, and I, I told her he was a blue healer mix. He was a rescue dog. A friend of mine had found him abandoned out on the Yakima Nation when he was just about a year old, and that we had had him ever since. And he was the perfect companion to my young son. She asked me, does he stay home? And I said, well, he used to get loose to check out the neighborhood when he was young, but that no, now that he was older, he stayed close to home. And then she started talking to Mac. And as she did, my heart broke. She told Max that he was lucky to have found a home where people loved him, where he had a warm bed, where he had plenty to eat. And then without looking me in the eye again, she said she'd been outside for four years. And she said something had happened back then. She didn't tell me exactly what. But after that, she couldn't handle the stress of being around other people. And so she'd left. And she'd been outside ever since, sometimes living in a camp near the river. We talked for another minute or two. She said goodbye to me. And then she stopped. And she bent down. And she petted Max on the head. And she told him to be good. And then I watched her make her way to the bus stop. How are we creating places of sanctuary? Safe havens for those who need shelter. Places of welcome for those who are searching for home. We need more Elizabeths in the world. More Elizabeths who are living out lives of welcome, who are lavishing blessings on those who pass through their lives. People who, like Elizabeth, who welcomed Mary with a big bear hug and with graciousness and said, blessed are you. Let us be more like Elizabeth, shall we? Let us be a community who practices love, who blesses others and who welcomes all. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. 
Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.